This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The title of the book is Errand Runner. Our author, Stephen Berg, joins me from the Northwest in Portland, Oregon. Welcome, sir, to the program. Well, thank you, Jay. I really appreciate you having me on. Honored to have you on the program. This is your first fictional work, Errand Runner. Tell us a little of the background story. I know part of it takes place in Munich in 1972. What is the significance of that, and why did you include it in your storyline? Okay, well, the, the protagonist is a young man named Steph Ronstad uh, from a logging in Milltown in the Pacific Northwest, Port Angeles, Washington. And he is uh, about to enlist in the Marine Corps, and during his health examination, he is confronted by two officers from the CIA who have a little file on his past, which includes a little bit of a criminal uh, activity, and he they end up brokering a deal with Steph in which he avoids military duty as well as potential prison time in turn for running errands for the CIA abroad. And part of it does take place uh, at the Olympics in Munich, and I happen to have been at the Olympics during those tragic events. And they really made an impact on me, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to include that in the story of Aaron Runner. You've pub, uh, published, I'm not published, but you have uh, perfected 322 pages, at least I'll say perfected. What of the content was inspired by other activities in your life or other events? Well, what I did is I wove uh, a lot of actual historical events that took place during times while I was traveling abroad. Um, so the story actually begins in, in England, well, begins in Port Angeles, Washington, then moves to England when he starts his errands for the CIA. And it tra- he travels across uh, Europe and ends up in uh, Munich and then moves on from there to the Greek islands and also uh, to Istanbul, Turkey, where another uh, part of the story takes place. And I, since I had traveled to those areas, I liked including them. What is the time frame? You have 1972. What is uh, the length of your story? Does it go through present tense, or is it just confined to the 70s? It just confined to the 70s. As you begin to write this and reflect on some of your journeys and some of the observations you had made, did you begin by doing an outline and fleshing out the characters, or was it simply inspiration that got you started? <laughs> Uh, actually, I, I guess I, I would be re- called what you refer to as a seat-of-your-pants writer. Mm-hmm. So I just started writing this story. I did not have an outline. And uh, I just kind of followed uh, the, the timeline of the frames when I was uh, traveling abroad and, and used those timelines for the story. 
Would you describe your book as uh, your story, your inspiration as character driven, or is there a lot of action also included? Oh, there's a lot of both. Uh, some of my favorite authors uh, have, have really done a great job of character development, and so I uh, utilized a lot of, of skills that I learned from reading other uh, novelists. And uh, then uh, I just took that into the story, and there's plenty of action. So if you like suspense and danger, then this is a book for you. Who's your audience besides just those that like suspense and, and action? Uh, is it a broad, will this be something that even a young reader, uh, say a young adult, would enjoy reading? Well, I think so, because the protagonist is a young adult. He's 21 years old during most of the action that, that occurs. And so I think that appeals to uh, some of the younger audience, as well as those who may have been uh, aware of what happened in, in the Olympics in Munich, uh, as well as a lot of the uh, political activity that was going on uh, in, in the Middle East uh, during that same time frame. Did you have a specific uh, target, idea, concept, uh, message that you wanted to get across to the reader? What I really wanted to do was to take people back uh, in time and and kind of go through a lot of uh, history uh, that happened during the early years of the 1970s. And it was a real time of turmoil across the world. And so I wanted to get people back, and those who really didn't uh, follow things back then, I thought it would be an opportunity for them to kind of relive it and uh, just inspire people and and create a a real thought-provoking story. How long ago did you decide or did you feel that it was time to pursue the field of being an author? (laughs) That's an interesting story, too. Uh, I had a very lengthy career uh, building homes, and, and most of the homes that I specialized in were rather unique. So when I retired from that, I, I really was missing something, and that was the creative process. So I thought about different things that I could do, and I really wanted to challenge myself. And since I had never written a novel before, I thought that that would be a great place to start into my challenge. How long did it take to complete Errand Runner? Well, the original manuscript uh, took me 12 months, uh, interrupted by life and fun, but uh, I just stayed sequestered in what was all my neighbors referred to as the man cave, and and, uh, I spent a lot of time in there, so my wife Jenny was kind of uh, the writer's widow for 12 months. Mm. You like the process well enough that you have also embarked on a second novel. Yes, uh, I have, and I am uh, into about 10 chapters of of the sequel, which is called Watchdog, and I think it's going to be a very exciting book. It'll feature some of the same characters uh, in main characters in Aaron Runner, uh, but there will be plenty of new action. And you've remodeled your man cave. No, I don't. I don't know. I <laughs> uh, never really had to remodel the man cave. It was uh, perfect. It was one of those things where I, I talked my wife into building it because uh, she didn't like me watching football games and having my friends over and, and spilling peanut shells on the floor. So we built the man cave. Beautiful. If you were to introduce this book to one of my listeners in a couple of sentences, how would you do so? I think that I would just say that the story of Aaron Runner. Uh, is an exciting book. Uh, it doesn't lack action. There's not very much lull time, but there is a little bit of romance. So I, I know that a lot of the gals who like to have it, the readers, uh, they don't want to just 
action. They want a little romance. So we included some of that, and that was actually one of the things that the editors at iUniverse really wanted me to kind of uh, emphasize a little bit. You've mentioned a couple things. One was other authors that may have influenced you. Who would those be? Well, when we talked about character development, I really like uh, Larry McMurtry's way of developing characters. And when I uh, read the Lonesome Dove series, I've got to say that the people that when it's a lot of times when they make a, a movie out of a series of books, you're disappointed in the movies. But the character development was so detailed and so fantastic. It was just the way that I and many other viewers of the movie just had imagined those characters. And then in the genre, I really like, uh, I've always really enjoyed uh, Clive Cussler, Nelson DeMille, Tom Clancy, and some some of those authors really just kept me going. And if, if the pantry was really full in their bookstore, then I read them. Wow. A key ingredient to being an author, then, is reading good books or books that will inspire you? Oh, there's no doubt about that. I, I don't think that uh, any author would be very successful if they haven't uh, read and learned and taken the things that they like from different authors and incorporate that into their own style. That doesn't mean to say that you should try to emulate anybody's writing style, but I think that what it really means is, is that if you can take elements from writing styles that you really like and have read a lot of those authors' books, that can be a big help. You've mentioned that much of the, or many of the locations in your book are locations that you have visited, and some of the storyline does emulate real or true life in your instance. You mentioned the CIA. Is there some connection there, or is that fictitious all the way? <laughs> well, it's so funny because so many people who, who know me, and after they have read the book, they they just feel certain that I actually did work for the CIA. But, and I think that's in part because it's easier for people to believe uh, that uh, it actually occurred as opposed to me just having a, a great imagination. And I can assure you that it's the part about the great imagination. I have never worked for the CIA. Now you're off the hook. All right. Uh, the readers, when they read your book, what is the element that you believe they will enjoy the most? I think that the fact that it's when you're really focusing on a protagonist and what happens and what transpires in their life, I think that you, you the readers will feel what it was like to be Step Bronstad and experience some of the things that he actually experienced. Many of my authors have a dream beyond just the written pages. They hope someday their action thriller may be turned into a movie. Is there a scene? that's going to stand out to the reader and possibly a potential director. I think there's always some potential. And of course, I think like any other author, uh, you know, I, I have dreams about that coming to fruition. But there are a number of scenes that I think that will appeal to a lot of moviegoers as well as avid book readers. And uh, those are, are some of the action scenes and some of even the romance. A romance? How intense is your romance in the book? <laughs> Boy, Jay, you really put me on the spot now. First, the question is about the CIA and about the romance now. Mm -hmm. Oh, there, through Steps Travels, uh, he has to leave uh, his longtime high school sweetheart and beyond. Uh, and so there is the romance of going back to the days of even high school with him. Mm -hmm. uh, and then things that move on from there. 
anything that would uh, have naughty bits in it? Oh, I think there is just a little bit of the naughtiness in there, but it's it's not totally filled with it. Good, 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 good to hear. I, I'm just wanting to know whether I should uh, read this or put it aside. Uh, <laughs> as, how would you introduce this book to our listeners in a couple of paragraphs? I would say that the, the story of Aaron Runner uh, is an emotional uh, and action-packed uh, book that, that has a little bit of everything for everyone. And I think that it's uh, something that if you really enjoy suspense, then this is a story for you. If you really enjoy uh, some of the emotional times that, that people go through as they're growing up, then you will enjoy this. And uh, it's just a fun, exciting suspense book. An international suspense thriller. Were there complications or difficulties or challenges in getting this into print? Oh, there were definitely some challenges, especially when you're dealing uh, with some characters who... Uh, actually had uh, parts in historical events and kind of putting some twists on the stories and actions that actually happened uh, without offending anybody but uh, still making for an intriguing and thought-provoking story. Great job on your first novel, 322 pages. Aaron Runner is the name of it, our author Stephen Berg. Steve, where do we get copies of your book? Well, right now, of course, on uh, the iUniverse website, it is available, uh, as well as Barnes & Noble and Amazon. And, and there will be some other outlets coming soon, too, but those will keep everybody apprised of. Have you completed a website yet, or are you planning to develop one? Uh, I'm actually working with iUniverse right now on developing that website. So they can do a search under your name, Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, last name Berg, B-E-R-G, and find out what in the world you're up to, and also get a preview of your next release when it's available. Yes, and uh, I do have a Facebook page specifically for Aaron Runner, and it is just Aaron Runner Novel. So you can look at it on my Facebook page and hopefully even click a like on it. Fabulous. Stephen, great visiting with you and finding out the background story of Errand Runner. Uh, suspense novel, 322 pages. Advise you to go out and get a copy of it or find out a little bit more online on Stephen's page. Thank you, Steve, for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me, Jay. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back 
to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book today is titled Transform Your Soul, Reflections of a Nurse on Compassion, Healing, and Divine Power. Our author who joins us from New York State in the United States is Irene Fulmer. Welcome to the program, Irene. Thank you, Jay. I'm enjoying to be invited on. Wonderful. This book uh, reflects on the life of uh, a nurse in past history that has been highly regarded, uh, Florence Nightingale, among other things. How did you begin the process of writing this book? Where did the inspiration come from? Well, it's kind of a strange happening, but uh, I'd say about uh, two and a half years ago, I was standing in, uh, I believe it was one of the bookstores that I uh, always enjoy going to, and I could feel a stirring deep within uh, as I stood in front of uh, some books that I was looking at, and um, I felt the stirring, and I said, I have to get this book out. I felt like almost like I had to birth a book. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. (laughs) And when I got home, I sat down and started to get uh, an inspiration for chapter titles. And so that's how it started. You began uh, your life as a nurse more recently in your recent history. Uh, You didn't start out to be an author, did you? No, I didn't. This is something that's more recent in in your life. Uh, yes, it, it happened, like I said, when I started to get that stirring within, and then uh, more came as I uh, sat in, in uh, just solitude. Titles for chapters came, other thoughts came, and I knew I was going to be writing a book. You talk about Florence Nightingale. How did that life in, in, uh, influence you? Well, when I read uh, articles and even books about her, I could see the spiritual side of her. And uh, it wasn't very um, well known that she was uh, so spiritual. So I wanted to put that in my book about how she heard God's voice call her to nursing as she sat under a, a tree one day. I think she heard God call her two times. So I wanted to put all this um, spiritual um, knowledge about uh, Florence Nightingale's life in my book. You took a, uh, I would say, a right turn or maybe a better turn into holistic medicine, too. What is your inspiration there? Well, I would tell my uh, boss at the hospital, uh, what about the patient's soul? You know, we meet the needs of the body, but we never seem to meet the needs of the soul. (laughs) <laughs> My boss said, Irene, you're the only one that says that. <laughs> but uh, she mentioned to me of a school that was in the area. It was a holistic school for nurses and other people. But there was a special program for nurses that I went and I uh, enrolled in. It was a two-year program. And I studied a lot of Chinese medicine, but I studied how to um, do different therapies like amatherapy, which is a Chinese massage, and uh, guided imagery, which I used a lot in my practice at the hospital. And um, it became very spiritual, working with the patients one-to-one. You have uh, titles of your chapters, uh, things like The Power of Words, Passion and Possibility, Quantum Concepts and Phenomena, 
ordinary acts of kindness, and some sub-content sub, uh, that are in each of those chapters. As you begin to write your book, who did you think would be the beneficiary of what you had penned? Well, I first dedicated it to the nurse because I, too, was called to nursing. I did not want to be a nurse. I wanted to teach English, <laughs> so I kept getting a reoccurring vision, um, and that really was so strong that it just pulled me into starting to do volunteer work at the hospital. Hmm. And from there, <clears throat> I had a strong knowing, you're being called to be a nurse, and I had a lot of um, hurdles to get over, being a uh, the type of person that fainted when she saw blood. <laughs> that like wasn't wife. good. Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> and so I, but one by one, uh, I conquered each fear. And I did say yes to the call. I'm very grateful. So I always had a love for nurses. I had a, um, uh, I think it was just a uh, high regard for the profession, knowing that it was the, really the right arm of God coming to the earth through anyone willing, and that means nurses, mm -hmm. and any other health care, or any other person that cares for the sick and dying. Your book doesn't deal specifically, or target specifically, those who are in the health care industry. It is titled Transform Your Soul. You deal with negative thoughts and actions and those types of things. How does someone triumph over negative thoughts and emotions? Well, that's a good question, but there is an answer. Uh, first, it's really about becoming aware of what you're thinking. Uh, most of the time, we're just thinking. We're driving and we're thinking. You know, I remember one time driving for 15 minutes being preoccupied with one thought of how this person really annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized, again, awareness that I was spending the last 15 minutes thinking of all this negative that was coming from another person. So it be, it's really about becoming aware of your thoughts and of your feelings, of your heart. You know, what are you, what are you, you know, what are you thinking about others? And uh, what, what's coming up? Is it anger? Is it uh, resentment? Unforgiveness? You know, all these things that really rule us and put us in a very bad energy or very bad spirit, right. spiritual state. Spiritual state. You have also shared that you uh, have spent some time in third world countries carrying healing to those nations. How did that impact you? Oh, that was very powerful. Well, I again, I said yes to God. I said, yes, I'll go. I didn't really believe he was sending me to Zambia, but I was being sent. And so I had a special, what can you say, uh, impartation from God uh, in, in, uh, in uh, an ability to heal. Uh, they call it a healing anointing. And when I got there, I had this ability to heal. Hmm. And uh, I was more surprised than the people that were getting healed. <laughs> I and, was and very how, surprised. How did those, it was very how, beautiful. How did those healings take place? Was it just a matter of talking to people? Was it a matter of, uh, of touch? Of, uh, was it uh, prayer? What, what was it? It was touch and it was prayer. Sometimes it was just touch. A woman came to me, I think I shared it in the book, 
and she had some congestive heart failure. She had uh, water and so on around her heart, and uh, she just came and asked me to pray for her, and I went to take her hand, and, I mean, we really felt the divine power just come, come to us. It was so powerful, and she uh, reported later that she was, she was healed according to the reports from her doctor that she didn't have this heart condition that she had had. So um, uh, one of the richest men in Zambia had uh, gout in his feet, and he asked me to pray for him. And uh, when I laid my hands on his feet, the power again came into his feet. Incredible. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't say anything because I, I really didn't know what to say. I was so surprised. But then the next morning, his lawyer was going back to Lusaka with me, and she said, you know, uh, Dr. Matani, his feet are healed. His pain is gone. Again, his pain, you know, was gone. Interesting. And we don't see that much in the United States and North America in westernized countries, do we? Or is that still taking place? Well, I believe it's going to begin again very much. Um, but, yes, you're right. I, I, You know, it hasn't been too much of that since, I guess, back in the um, 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. I think with the William Branham and uh, Catherine Kuhlman, and I'm sure I'm forgetting many of them, yes. <laughs> that were healers. They were, they were uh, well-known, I guess you would call them religious uh, evangelists, and had a healing ministry, some people would refer to that. Yes, like Oral Roberts. <clears throat> he, was a, uh, he had a healing uh, anointing. Interesting. You talk about uh, experiencing the uh, favor of God. How does that take place? Oh, that's, a, that's interesting. Or, or is, it, is it even well, possible? Is it even possible to have the favor of God on your oh, life? Oh, yes, it is possible. It is. You know, when you turn to God, He turns to you. <laughs> And uh, you can have the favor. Um, it's that dimension of the spirit where I believe even angels are going ahead of you. They go behind you, but they go ahead of you to also. And, uh, and they make connections that normally you wouldn't have had made. Fascinating concept. Irene, you mentioned inspirational stories in your book. I think you've recounted several. Is there any one story that's going to stand out to the reader? Yes, uh, it's the story of a doctor, a doctor's wife <clears throat> that I work with. Uh, he came to me and <clears throat> asked me if I could uh, help his wife. She was ill with lymphoma, and uh, <clears throat> she had permanent nerve damage in her hands. And so I got permission from the administration to see her and treat her. <clears throat> I was treating her with amatherapy, which is hands-on um, massage basically Chinese mm -hmm. massage but the first time I met her she was so weak the door practically knocked her off her feet I had to help her onto the table mm -hmm. and when I just set my intent to God and just prayed a little prayer God come and touch this this woman and when I laid my hands on her I felt something happening that I had never felt in my life and it was I called it divine substance flowing from my hand because I didn't know what to call it at the time. It was the glory of God coming through my hands. Hmm. And I was kind of getting euphoric because it was so, so heavenly, you know, such an awesome substance coming through me. And it was going to her. And I said to her, do you feel this? 
She said, yes, I do. It's all over my head and shoulders. So I knew this woman is experiencing what I'm experiencing. And I wondered, is she going to think you're kind of strange? But she was right with me on it, you know. And after treating her eight times, her hands were, she was completely healed. But even her hands that were kind of um, nerve damage and, and kind of twisted and unable to straighten them out, and she was in a lot of pain all the time with them, her hands were healed. Inspiring. There was no more pain, and, and she was completely healed. Inspiring story. You have 132 pages. How would you introduce Transform Your Soul to our listeners and get them interested in looking at the contents of your book? Well, I have a website. It's um, www.transformyoursoul.org. And I, it's being sold at uh, Amazon.com. And it's being sold in the Barnes & Noble bookstore. The book review in Huntington, Long Island, is selling it. So there's ways they can actually, uh, at least on your website, maybe get a peek at one of the chapters or some of the content. Yes. Wonderful. That's a great idea. And are you planning to maybe do a sequel to this book? Um, I've been told that I'm going to write another book. <laughs> Just don't know where, where or what. <laughs> Maybe that'll be when the miracles start happening. <laughs> Might happen. Thank you for sharing the background story of this uh, this particular story, this particular uh, aspect of Transform Your Soul, the reflections of a nurse on compassion, healing, and divine power. Those are topics that a lot of uh, individuals in our world are interested in. So they can find out more by looking up the title Transform Your Soul or our author's name, Irene Fulmer, F-U-L-M-E-R. Irene, thank you so much for joining me today, and uh, we hope to hear from you in the future. Thank you, Jay. It's been fun chatting with you. Great. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown, and after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to iUniverse Radio today. I'm Clint Yates. From pregnant at 15 years old to the principal and the very first female principal in her state, high school principal, at the same school she attended as a student. That's the story inside the pages of the book, A Woman in a Man's World, True Story of a High School Principal. And writer of that book, author, 
Norma Winter joins us now on the iUniverse line. Hello, Norma. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I am terrific. Gosh, what a story. we got so much to talk about today. Your book just seems so fascinating. It, it covers five decades from 1950 through 2000. It really begins, the first half of the book is a lot about a lot about you, and, and it really begins as a young teenager, and you become pregnant in a time where socially that was just, that was a very difficult situation. It certainly was, especially for the girl. Uh, the good old double standard existed, and uh, it, um, the social mores being what they were, uh, a young girl didn't have much of a future if it became generally known that she was pregnant out of wedlock. We, we probably should mention, Norma, that you go on to marry your husband and married until he, he passed away. That's right. He passed away in 1986, uh, and uh, we were together, a successful couple, all those years. So, in your book, this is a, this is an autobiography or a memoir of your life, and you go through this tremendous kind of era in our nation as a woman, as we've talked about, is how your life kind of got kicked off there at the age of 15, but you become this successful high school principal. Tell us a little bit, at least about the first half of your life. I know it was a time that it was difficult to be a woman uh, in the situation that you were, also going to college and, and living in that era. Well, it was a, a little bit of a challenge. Uh, I was very fortunate in that I had a, a loving family uh, who was very concerned about my welfare. And so my parents uh, fabricated a, a story that they told the community. And uh, um, according to the uh, public information, I had married uh, earlier and uh, had kept my marriage a secret. And so it really wasn't out of wedlock. It was out of some sort of teenage exuberance and and uh, but we had been married the whole time and and so forth so so they they protected me uh my husband uh went away to the korean war and i moved back in with my parents and so at the time of my child's birth i was again living at home with my parents because of that um i was able as soon as my child was born to re-enter high school and my high school principal became one of my early mentors and one of my favorite people uh, of all time because he did allow me to return to high school at a time when uh, pregnant girls and mothers were not allowed in, in public mm -hmm. schools in fact I had a teacher who became pregnant and she had to quit her job and go home because pregnant people didn't go to school hmm. and uh, they weren't, didn't teach and they didn't attend. Hmm. Um, why my high school principal chose to allow me to continue in school until I graduated with my class, I don't know. I was never able to ask him, but uh, he was a wonderful man and uh, I, I always remember him quite fondly. Uh, after that, I was a mother, um, a housewife and mother. I stayed at home, had a second child, and five years later decided that 
the housewife life was not for me, and uh, I started college. And I attended college at West Virginia State College, now West Virginia State University. Uh, it was a previously an all-black school. It was West Virginia's black college. And in the Brown decision of 1955, it had integrated immediately, and I started attending uh, that school in 1957. Um, it was a school primarily of residential black students, and uh, I was a commuting white student, and um, non-traditional in other ways in that I was five years out of high school, so I was older than my classmates. Uh, that was a very unusual experience and probably the most important part of my education was experiencing the civil rights movement, which was during those years, mm -hmm. uh, through the eyes of my professors and my um, college um, friends who were primarily black and um, to see that movement through their eyes and to participate uh, with them was a very different experience than most white Americans had had. Boy, what? Uh, so it gave me a perspective of racial relations uh, that many of my white friends did not share. Boy, I can only uh, imagine. I can only imagine the perspective you had living during that era and attending that, that particular institution. Yes, and uh, that school still prides itself on, on having experience what they called integration in reverse, <laughs> in that they were all black and were trying to become white, uh, or at least mixed. Uh, and uh, it, it, was, it really was a, a valuable part of my, my education uh, and uh, certainly stood me in good stead when I became principal years later at uh, Lincoln Junior High School, which had a uh, population of about uh, 15 to 20 percent black and uh, was experiencing uh, quite a few community problems uh, because they viewed the school as having racial problems. And so when I went there, I think those experiences helped me a great deal in working with that uh, student population. Now, now, that's kind of the first half of your book, Norma, where you talk about growing up, going through, through what you went as a teenager, and then, of course, through college. But then the second half really is kind of dedicated to to your experience as an administrator. And, of course, I, I think what you did, you went through some through some times it, it was a man's world but certainly in that line in that career in that time in our country this was a what one way to say it, it was an all-male kind of fraternity wasn't it it certainly was uh in uh, uh west virginia when i first assumed the job of a secondary administrator i would attend state meetings with uh, my fellow administrators and there would be 100, 120 uh, men in the room, and I would be the only female. Um, I was the only female there. I was the only female to be had. Um, so, yes, it, it was a, a male club, so to speak. Um, 
in addition, I read uh, several articles uh, then and later which indicated that nationwide only 4% of the administrators in uh, combined uh, population of high school principals and central office administrators, only 4% of them were female. Uh, so that meant 96% were male and 4% female on a national basis. So how did that how did that come about, Norma? I guess I'm just curious. How did you get that first job and break into this in a very difficult time in our in our country when women really weren't put in roles of responsibility, especially in business or education? Well, I decided uh, I always had a pretty good ego, <laughs> and after I had been in education for about eleven years. Um, I had decided that I could do the job as well or better than than the principals I had worked for, with with a few exceptions. And and uh, so I decided I wanted to go into administration. Um, teaching had uh, become a little old hat to me. I'd done it for long enough. I wanted a new challenge, so I decided I would go into administration. And. Uh, I, and I went to school and, and got my administrative certificate. Then I thought, then I uh, began uh, applying for open jobs. Uh, I, the first three I applied for, I was refused. And each of the principals, well, two of the three told me to my face that it was because I was female. Uh, the third one just didn't even talk to me. He left the county and informed me that he had selected someone else. Uh, but uh, but the reason given to me was that I would hire you, but you're a female, and I don't want to work with a woman. Um, but then the opening came at my own school, uh, the school that I was teaching in at the time. And that principal uh, gave me an interview and then, eventually, and then hired me. Uh, and he hired me with uh, some difficulty. Um, the uh, uh, he told me later, after I had been hired, that the um, one of the school board members uh, serving our community had been a little apprehensive. Uh, he had had uh, uh, another a colleague who I would be working with the other assistant principal. He had been a little concerned about working with me even though uh, I had been his favorite teacher to bring troubled students to. He would bring me a student and say, Norma, this student has biology to another teacher and she can't handle him. Would you take him? Mm -hmm. uh, so he would do that, but he was a little reluctant in being a, a co-administrator with me. But nevertheless, that, that principal just you know, ignored all of the... Uh, uh, adversity and and gave me a try. He hired me, so that's how I broke in. Mm -hmm. I was hired by a principal who knew my qualifications and capabilities. I can only imagine all the adversity once you even got the the job that you faced year in and year out. 
I wish I could read to everyone that's listening today, Norma, your whole resume because it's quite impressive. Uh, all kinds of honors. Uh, you've served on state agencies and been president of, of educational associations, so your resume speaks for itself. So you went on to be a, a successful administrator despite everything. What, what was the secret to your success? I, I know you talk about it in your book, but can you just give us a thumbnail sketch, the secret uh, to your success? Well, I think several things. Hard work, you know, but then I think all administrators work hard. Uh, open-mindedness, fair-mindedness. Um, I think those were extremely important. The ability to see uh, the other's viewpoint. Uh, I uh, had some strong communication skills, both written and uh, verbal. Um, I could communicate with people uh, easily and, and did a, a good job of that. That, that was a major contributor. Um, I, I like to think I'm bright. Uh, I can think as well as anyone. And, and uh, I don't think there's any substitute for that. Um, uh, <laughs> Well, let me ask. Let me ask you this: as, as now you're on the other half of your career, you've experienced all this. You've seen the social changes. Certainly, uh, even in our country today, though now forty percent of administrators, as you were talking about, are women. Where it was only four when you started, but it's still right. not. A, it's still not a perfect world for women. So, what advice do you have? Maybe a young girl or a young teacher that's listening that may pick up your book. What What is some of the advice you have? Uh, to be successful or to achieve success like you did as a woman, as you say in the title of your book, A Woman in a Man's World. Right. Uh, I think the first thing, the very first thing I would say is that women must learn to be um, independent and responsible for their own decisions and their own welfare. Uh, They can no longer be daddy's little girl or rely on their husbands to make their decisions and to to make their excuses. Uh, women have to stand on their own two feet and be be strong. Um, and sometimes that can be a struggle. Uh, but that's that that's number one. And number two, of course, is uh, is to get qualified. Uh, whatever they decide to go in, whether it's medicine, law, education business, no matter what, is to earn their qualifications, uh, get their certificates, get, get, get whatever they need to, to get the job, and then work hard. Now, th- those are the three things. That's what you need to be successful. Again, the title of the book is A Woman in a Man's World, True Story of a High School Principal. Certainly, Norma Winter, the author, a trailblazer in the area of education. The story in this book of her going from a 15-year-old pregnant teenager to the very first high school female principal in the state of West Virginia. Quite a story. Norma, tell us where we can find your book. Uh, My book's available at, of course, iUniverse, their bookstore, uh, Amazon.com, uh, BarnesandNoble.com, um, uh, the, all three of those places are easy, easy places to find the book. 
All right. Thanks, Norma. Again, the title of the book, A Woman in a Man's World, True Story of a High School Principal uh, by Norma Winter. Norma, thank you so much for sharing some time and, and thank you for putting your story in a book for us. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed this talk very much. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.